Now, my text tonight is taken from John chapter 10, and I want to focus our attention on the words in verse 22 and 23. Let's hear the word of God. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. John 10 and 22. And 23, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Perhaps we could add verse 24, then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, how long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Now John chapter 10, verse 22 and 23 are part of my text for tonight. And my theme this evening is lessons from the winter feast of dedication. Now the Lord Jesus is approaching the end of his ministry. He's in the province of Judah. He is in fact there celebrating the Jewish feast of dedication. And that Jewish feast of dedication is better known as the Hanukkah. Jesus Christ is in the great temple of Solomon. He's not actually in the inner sanctuary. He's in the outer court. It's called Solomon's Porch. It's a long um, uh, colonnade of columns. Uh, and he's walking there. And, of course, there's women and children and men there. And he's revealing himself to the people there as the light of the world. Now, we're told what time of the year it is. It says in our text, it was winter. And you think of that and the crowds gathered around him, and they're asking him questions. So I want you to think of the scene now. The bleak, coldest time of the year, the winter time, you've got to think of the location of Christ. Um, you've got to think of his conversation uh, with the crowd, the, the time of the year, uh, the Jewish leaders asking him questions, and his plain speaking to them. Why was he there? I believe he was there to celebrate the winter feast of dedication. So the Lord Jesus celebrated the Hanukkah. Now, what was this feast? Why is it not mentioned elsewhere in the Bible? It's also known, as our brother Ivor will remind us, as the Festival of Lights or the Feast of the Maccabees. You see, the word Hanukkah means dedication. It's known today as the Feast of Dedication in the Gentile world, but it's the Hanukkah in the Jewish world. The, the celebration of this feast coincides with our December. In fact, in the year 2020, according to the Gregorian calendar, it starts in December the 10th, and it runs through to the December the 18th. Now, I want you to think of its historical background for a moment. In 168 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes, the king of the north, remember Daniel 11, the king of the Seleucid kingdom, that was the Syrian portion of the Greek empire, invaded Judah. Antiochus Epiphanes outlawed the Jewish religion. He ordered the Jews to worship Greek gods. His soldier murdered tens of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem. Thousands more were imprisoned and sent into exile. In the year 167 BC, he himself personally entered into the second temple. That's the temple built by Zerubbabel uh, and desecrated it. 
What did he do? He erected an altar there to uh, uh, Zeus, uh, the, the Greek god. And he sacrificed pigs within its walls, unclean animals. And that was known to the Jews, as we discovered in the book of Daniel, as the abomination of desolation. And that was a foreshadowing of what the final Antichrist will do when he comes into this world. This led to a Jewish rebellion. A priest by the name of uh, Mathathias and his five sons led a large-scale revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes. And when Mathathias uh, died, his son Judah took over. Judah Maccabees was known as the Hammer. And within two years, he had driven the Seleucids out of Jerusalem and most of Judea. But the temple was desecrated. It had been profaned. It needed to be cleansed. And according to Jewish folklore, they tell us that in order to rededicate the temple to the Lord, a strange miracle took place regarding an oil lamp that only had one day's supply that actually burnt and lasted for eight days. And this rededication service, this alleged miracle, sparked the beginning of the institution of the Feast of Dedication. And that Feast of Dedication among the Jewish community was observed from 167 BC right up to 70 AD when the temple was eventually destroyed by the Roman general Titus. It is mentioned in the book known as the Apocrypha. Now, the Apocrypha is not holy inspired scripture. It was not inspired by the Holy Ghost to be written. It's an historical record. It was written to help the Jews understand their history and their culture, especially from the end of Malachi. Malachi means messenger, not his real name, just messenger about 400 BC, right up to the days of John the Baptist when it was announced about uh, Christ coming into the world. And to this day, and we commend them for that, the uh, Jewish uh, community uh, do not accept the Apocrypha as Holy Scripture. They regard it as a useful, handy um, uh, tool to remember their, 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 their history and their culture. The Bible of the Jews is exactly the same as ours. 66 books is known as the Tanakh. The, the law, first five books of Moses. The prophets, starting with Joshua, uh, right up to the writings, uh, starting with the Psalms. And there's this feast. And it's mentioned in 1 Maccabees, I think it's chapter 4. And what did it proclaim in the days of Christ? It proclaimed the message of liberty beyond our hope. And do we not need liberty beyond our hope today? It was a message of deliverance, a message of redemption, a message of sustaining grace, a message of commission by God. You see, it, it focused on the singing of psalms, fellowshipping with family and friends. It, it involved the going to the temple. Uh, that was a voluntary choice, by the way. The law was read. People gave thanks to God. They exchanged gifts. And they also lit a candle in their home. In the Jewish community, it's called the menorah. 
And on day one, they lit one candle. And day two, they lit two. And day three, and day four, and day five, they lit five candles. And right up to day eight, they lit eight candles. Now, I want to tell you tonight, I don't believe it was a mere coincidence that the Lord Jesus went there to the temple at this time to celebrate the Feast of Dedication. See, I believe the Lord Jesus was there deliberately, folks. He was there by voluntary choice. Now, I want you to think of where he is, okay? So we'll put it this way, young people, so you can grasp it. He's in the temple. Think of what he's doing there. He's celebrating the Feast of Dedication, the Hanak. Think of what he's saying. You, you see, there's a clear message here. The temple is the center of worship for the Jewish community. It's the center of national identity. And this feast is an offering of thanksgiving to God for his deliverances, for his redemptive power, for his protection, for his provision. The Lord Jesus just declared himself in John 8 and 12, I'm the light of the world. The, the Lord Jesus has just said this in John chapter 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Has he not said in John chapter 10 and verse 9 this tremendous truth? I am the door by me if any man enter in he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Has he not also said in John 10 and 11 I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You see, he is bringing the glory of God into the temple by virtue of who he is. You see, in the temple, the glory of God was manifested. This is what God had said in Second Chronicles 20 and verse 9. If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence... For thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou will hear and help. You see, the Lord Jesus is the very embodiment of the true light of God in the world. He's the very embodiment of true deliverance and redemptive power and grace. He's the very embodiment of the glory of God. And, and these religious Jews... They observed that feast in that day along with Christ. And those Jews who observed this feast to this day, they still light their menorah. They still sing the Hallel, Psalm 113 to 118. They focus what? On God's marvelous light. They focus on God's wonderful deliverance. They, they focus on redemption, provision, commission. You see, it's no coincidence that the Lord Jesus was there. Now, what lessons can we learn from this tonight? I've thought about this. It was sent to me by Brother Mark. He had made reference to uh, the Answers in Genesis website where I picked this up. And I confess, while I preached in this many, many years ago, I have looked at it afresh from a different angle because I see the connection uh, between the Feast of Dedication and the Christ who was there. I want you to think of four things very quickly have to be quick, the example of the Lord Jesus. I want you to think of Jerusalem as a crowded city. Where's Christ? Look, look with me. Verse 23, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, 
We'll pause there. Solomon's porch. He's in the temple precincts. And it's full of people. There's men and women and children there. It's a long columns raised up. And he, he's walking in the midst. Then came the Jews round about him. You, they, they spied him. There, there's Jesus there. They made their way to him. So you think of a group of people gathering around him. Thronging around him. Is not what it says? Then came the Jews round about him, encircling him. You think of him in the middle, and they're asking questions, and he's giving the answer. And of course, if you see a crowd of people, and somebody's in the middle, and they're talking, you'll want to eavesdrop. What are they saying? Um, what was that they said? And, and you'll also gather round. You've got to think, of course, this is against the, the backcloth of the Attempts on his life by the religious leaders of the day. You can read about that. I hadn't time tonight to read all that I wanted to read of John chapter 10. But it's there in the book. And yet despite this threat on his life, that up to this point was fourfold. Up to this, despite the fact that it was a very cold time of the year. He's presenting himself again before the people. As what? As the light of the world, as the door of heaven, as the good shepherd who was going to die for the sheep. What was he doing? He took advantage of the crowd. He was there, yes, to observe the feast, but he took the opportunity to reveal himself and present himself in this, we could really say, a fourfold way among the people. Because I could add, he's the very embodiment of the glory of God. Doesn't the Bible say there in John chapter 1 and verse 14, a verse that I love and a passage that will be read on Christmas Day. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you know what He's doing, folks? He's engaging in outreach. And in that sense, He's our example. We're to follow in His steps. And we must use every opportunity for outreach. That, that we have tried to do that since this lockdown was imposed. We have engaged in home visits. I've sat outside on people's walls. I've sat in little chairs as they stood in their doorways. We, we, we have given out um, 20 outreach hampers to needy people containing a tract and a CD from the church. It's right that we give food to the needy. We have a concern for their bodies, but we have a greater concern for their souls. We have used our church website and our YouTube channel. We've broadcast our Sunday services. Now, sadly, our, our, our children's meetings and youth work has been greatly curtailed. But we have tried to keep in touch. You know, during the lockdown, we, we visited over 30 children's homes. We have encouraged them to watch our Free Presbyterian Kids Club online. We've encouraged him to listen to Brother Colin Tinsley and the tremendous children's addresses that he can do. We, we had some children's addresses of our own. We've given out um, something like 64 gifts to children with tracks and things inside them. We've had Bible studies. We've had the thumbnails. You see, Christ was active. What did he say? He said... I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. And because Christ is active, so much we. We too must work the works of him who's sending us. We must follow his methods. You see, here's the point. Very simple. If Christ is the light of the world, and he is, then we too must let our light shine before men because we're the children of light. 
If Christ is the door to heaven, we must point to that door. We must encourage others to repent and to enter in. If Christ beautified the temple by his presence, if he's the embodiment of the glory of God, then let's remember that our bodies and the cells are temples of the Holy Ghost. What a wonderful passage in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14 that reminds us of a glorious truth. And the truth is this, 1 John 4 and verse 14, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He's the very representative of the goodness and kindness and grace of God. You, you, you think of God in Christ meeting us at the point of our need. And here we are, we're, we're celebrating what a, another Christmas time. It, it too is a festival of celebration. Sadly, much of it's superficial. Much of it is lighthearted. Much, much of it has to center around booze and, and everything else that goes along with the party scene. But for those who are children of the light, Christ must be at the center. Christ makes all the difference. You see, we can inject some realism. That's what Christ was doing into this feast of dedication. And we can inject some realism into the feast where we celebrate the Christmas time. Because the real meaning and message of Christmas has to do with what? The birth of Christ that the young people have read to us so aptly and ably this evening. I want you to think of something else very quickly. Not only the example of Christ, but think of the explanation of Christ. Look with me at verse 24. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt if thou be the Christ? Tell us plainly. Listen to verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. Now, now we'll pause there. I want you to think of the complaint here of unbelieving men. Men whom I believe were unwilling to believe in Jesus Christ and his personal work. Jewish leaders, scribes and Pharisees, the chief priests, other rabbis. They were saying to Christ, look, you're keeping us in suspense. You're keeping us in doubt. You see, I, I believe they were pretending to be interested. These men were talking to Christ, but sadly they're filled with unbelief as to his personal work. Their hearts and minds were closed. They were saying to him, you know, our failure to believe in you, it's really your fault. Think of the force of the words. How long dost thou make us to doubt. The emphasis is on us to doubt. See, it's possible to be an honest doubter. It's possible not to grasp and understand the ways and the will and the word, even of God. But these men were not honest doubters. These men were filled with a spirit that was a blatant, bigot unbelief. And their unbelief was one of their chief sins. But they were saying to Christ, you're making us to doubt. They were blaming the Lord. They're saying, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You're saying you're the light of the world and the door to heaven and, and, and the good shepherd. But you're keeping us in the dark and real suspense as to who you really are. If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. He had already told them, but they didn't want to hear. See, the Lord Jesus knew their hearts. He knew they weren't honest doubters. He knew they weren't honest seekers after him or after truth and righteousness. He had already told them the truth, who he was, over and over again. He said, I told you, and ye believe not. Didn't believe he's the light of the world, the door to heaven, the good shepherd. 
They didn't believe he was the glory of God in the world. He said, I've told you my words, you haven't believed. I told you about my works, and you haven't believed. Remember this. In the Garden of Eden, you had Adam and Eve. God had told Adam, you can eat of all the trees in the garden, but one tree. One tree was a symbol of Adam's dependence on the Lord. But you know, that, in a strange way, I believe, bothered Adam, annoyed Adam, upset Adam. You remember, Eve didn't disobey. Eve was deceived. The serpent talked to her. The serpent deceived her. Listen to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2 and 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. She believed the serpent. She didn't trust in the Lord. But you know, Adam was right beside her when he heard the conversation. And he was thinking, why can't I eat of that tree? I hate it that I can't eat of that tree. And in his heart, he began to hate and despise the God who made that tree and gave him this command. See, Adam was there right beside Eve. He heard the whole thing. He could have stepped in. He could have stopped what was going on. Why did he not? Because he secretly hated what God had said. And he deliberately disobeyed the Lord. And of course this ties into Romans 5 and 12. Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. It says in verse 19 of Romans 5. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now, of course, Adam added to that sin of first transgression. And we too have added to that guilt of first transgression. And we also became guilty, polluted sinners before God. Adam, when he was confronted with his sin, he blamed God. He said, it's your fault. You gave me this woman. You say, what was he doing? He was trying to evade and escape the guilt and punishment. He was blaming someone else. He was even blaming God. You're the cause. You're to blame. You see, is not the nature of sin to, to blame others, to deny responsibility, to deny culpability. Unbelief. Is there someone tonight listening to me saying, if, if only I could hear his voice speak from heaven? If only I could see him in the flesh. If only I could witness a great miracle, then I'd believe. And it's his fault I can't. Can't hear him, can't see him, can't witness a miracle. Do you know what he has spoken? You think of his many sermons. You think of how he speaks through his prophets and through preachers. He is present. He is speaking. God has spoken. He has heralded forth signs. There's 35 miracles recorded in the Bible. We can't blame him. To blame him reveals the state of our soul. To blame him highlights the danger and deadly ground that we're on. And I ask tonight, is this a picture of you? Who do you blame for your lifestyle, for your unbelief? Do you blame the Lord? Think of the explanation of Christ. I told you, and ye believed I want you to think very quickly here of the exercise of Christ. What does it tell us in verse 23? And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. We know the exact spot in the temple. 
Solomon's porch. Not the inner sanctuary, the outer part. Solomon's porch. Why was he there? Have you thought of this? Could I tell you why he was there? He's leaving Jerusalem. He's at the point of withdrawing from the temple. He's marking the feast for the last time. Sadly, the crowd that's there are aiding and abetting in his departure by their action, by their unbelief. If you confer John chapter 10 and verse 39, it says, Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John had first baptized, and there he abode. Their unbelief was driving Christ away. Is that what you're doing? If you're doing before the door of heaven, the light of the world, the good shepherd, is your unbelief driving you away from Christ? Because if your unbelief drives you away from Christ, then there's no hope for you. Neither literally, physically, or spiritually. The Bible says today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. It says in Proverbs 27 and verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. How many times have you heard the voice of Christ, 2020, here in the house of God, on the internet? And he's been speaking to you. You know he's been speaking. He's been speaking by his word, through his Holy Spirit. You've heard the voice of a preacher, but beyond that, you've heard the voice of Christ. And you know you're a sinner. And you know you've got a soul, and you need to be saved. And, and, and you know that he has stood at your heart's door many times, and he has knocked, and he has asked, for you to repent and receive him and to let him in. You know there's no other saviour. Acts 4 and 12. Neither is there uh, salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men. Whereby you must be saved. You know I was thinking we live in an age of sudden death. Don't we? Don't we live in an age of uncertainty? An age of fragility? An age when we're brought face to face with our own mortality? And we could be taken from this scene at any time. And the God who holds our hand and the holds our breath... It's before him. And he could let go. He can take the breath from us at any time. And we've plunged into eternity. Here's the exercise of Christ. He's walking in Solomon's porch. But he's leaving the temple. It's the last time he'll celebrate the feast. And your unbelief is helping to drive Christ away from you. Let me finish. I want you to think of the evidences of Christ. What time of the year is it? It's winter. And do you know what? It highlights the religious life in the temple at that time. We're going beyond the start of Christ's ministry. We're going beyond the summer of Christ's ministry. We're coming to the summit of Christ's ministry. It's winter. It's A.D. 29. And he's at the Feast of Dedication. I want you to see that. And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication. And it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. You see, this was not a required Jewish feast. This was not like the Passover. This was not like the day or Feast of Pentecost. This was not like the Feast of the Tabernacles. This was set up, I've already told you, during the Maccabean period. It was celebrated in the winter, December, in a season of darkness. 
a season of dearth, a, a season of coldness, a season of barrenness. You see, the winter time, to me, implies spirituality, religious spirituality, a winter time for souls. Jesus had already said to these Jews, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you believe not because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, you think of the miracles that he's already performed, water into wine, the healing of the nobleman's son, the healing of the impotent man, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking in the water, the healing of the blind man, the raising of Lazarus. You see, it's clear as crystal who he is. Light of the world, door to heaven, the glory of God, the, the good shepherd. And you're asking for evidences? It's the winter time, man. It's a day of darkness and death and coldness and spiritual barrenness. Open your eyes. Waken up. You know, it's okay to ask for evidence. We have asked for evidence about this lockdown. Medical and scientific evidences. It hasn't been supplied yet. But, but it's okay to ask for evidence. I, I believe that the Lord Jesus was speaking plainly and clearly here. He had already revealed himself. But they weren't just asking for evidence. You know what they were asking for? They were asking for more evidence. Because no amount of evidence was enough. Even if they had an abundance of evidences. This was an attempt to evade and avoid the evidence. The evidences of Christ. The clock of time set the winter. And the winter times upon us. Winter days for the Christian. Winter days for the church. And we've got all the evidences that we need. And that evidence focuses in on the personal work of Christ. His mysterious incarnation. His virgin birth in the fullness of time. His sinless life. His atoning death. His resurrection. His ascension to glory. These are the evidences of Christ. Despite the winter time. Do you believe the evidence? Is it enough for you to say, I'll take him home with me. He'll be my Lord and Savior. Thank God I've got a light in Christ. Thank God I've found the door to heaven. Glory to God. He's the very embodiment of God's glory. If I have Christ, I've got the glory of God. He's my shepherd. Isn't it lovely to think and to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that tonight? I trust that you can. I trust that you tonight who are listening to me will have a safe and a pleasant and a happy Christmas through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for listening.